Welcome back to The Heart of Teaching. I'm Dave Rizicki with my friend and producer Nathan Rivers, and thank you for joining us today. This episode is really special for me. I get to interview my best friend, Dr. Michael Kanick. Now, Michael is considered to be one of the top business consultants in the United States and in Canada, and he's also a very successful author. He's written one of the top business books of 2020 entitled Ruthless Consistency. Now, Amazon has the book ranked number one in their human resources section and uh, ranked number two in their business strategy section. Now, several business publications have also rated Michael's book as one of the top leadership books of 2020. Michael graduated from the University of British Columbia with a doctorate in cognitive psychology and human performance, and he also played football out there. He was a team captain, and in his final year, he was also voted as the most inspirational player. And when he graduated, he ended up coaching at the University of BC and was part of a national championship team. He's traveled to more than 40 countries, and he is a renowned speaker. Now, you don't have to be a business person in order to get a ton of takeaways from today's episode. There's some invaluable life lessons for anyone that chooses to listen. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Michael, thanks a lot for doing this. I really appreciate it. So we can start with a real basic question. Explain what you do and uh, where you've spoken. Great. Well, what I do is I'm a consultant to mid-sized organizations. I help them develop strategy, build culture, and execute on what they need to execute. So their focus is really strategy plus culture equals execution because everybody struggles with the execution. So for the past 20 years, I've been working with mid-sized organizations across North America you know, developing and executing strategy. As for the speaking, I'm fortunate I've had a chance to deliver now over 600 presentations on four continents, including, you know, throughout North America, Europe, uh, Australia, Africa. Uh, so I've had a chance to speak in a great number of places on the same topic, you know, turning ambition into strategy and strategy into reality. Wow. Is there, when you were doing the speaking, was there one place in particular that was uh, kind of epic for you that it's like, wow, this is uh, pretty incredible? Well, you know, what comes to mind is when I was in uh, Northern Ireland, Belfast, they have a museum for the Titanic, which was built there. So this Titanic museum, and they've done a fantastic job of recreating the interior of the Titanic, you know, inside this museum. So parts of that. Um, They've done an outstanding job of uh, the external design, too, really kind of captures the idea of this great ship. Uh, Internally, there's a tour you go on. Uh, they've done a great job. So I had a chance to present at, uh, at the Titanic Museum in Belfast to a group of a couple hundred business owners and CEOs, and that, that's one that stands out. That'd be a really great experience. We had talked, oh, probably months ago, but uh, you also spoke in Nashville. Is that not? Was it the Grand Old Opry you spoke at? Yes, the Grand Old Opry. And you know, what was cool about that is just seeing, of course, all the photos they had in, uh, you know, the, the, the dressing rooms and uh, and all around the uh, the building and the walls and the hallways. And, you know, uh, uh, it was yeah, just cool seeing all the, the names you would all recognize from the country music world going back many years. So being able to speak at the Grand Ole Opry, that was another cool experience. So I guess they, they didn't put your uh, your picture up after you had uh, spoken, I guess. You were, uh, you were simply... Well, I know, but, you know, I, I, I haven't been back, so who knows? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's something they 
now I know you've been very successful. Um, what I'd like you to do is take some of the listeners through your journey and, and uh, talk about the successes you've had and what you've had to do to be successful and, and some of the challenges along the way. Yes, well, like everyone, you know, there have been challenges and successes. Uh, going back to probably university years, playing football at UBC, and, you know, you and I had met around that time. And uh, from the young boy, I always wanted to play professional football. And then in my senior year, my final year, I tore up my knee pretty badly. And uh, I remember being, you know, really down, being in the hospital, you know, they had to do this pretty major knee surgery. You know, my kind of dream had gone away. And I'm, just, you know, sitting in the bed or lying in the bed feeling sorry for myself. And I get this, um, fl- these flowers come in from my Uncle Tony. And Michael Tony was always an inspiration, and he used to take me hiking from the time I was a young boy. So he, he sends me flowers, and the card on it says, the mountains are waiting. And in that moment, I realized, you know, I've been feeling, feeling sorry for myself about this one thing I can't do, but there's a world of things I can do. There's all sorts of possibilities. So that was really a triggering event for me. You know, the idea of focus on the opportunities, not the opportunities lost keep a positive mindset and uh that it ended up you know being positive that after playing i went into coaching and coached in ubc while i was doing my graduate studies we won a national championship so i took away a lot of learnings from that you know from that success learned about when you get a group of people who are focused and aligned around a common goal the things you can achieve learned about sacrifice and commitment and execution and the details of, of execution so really learned a lot from that. Uh, finishing my, you know, my doctoral studies was a another key experience. I, you know, I, I had the intention of going through university and becoming a professor. Decided I was, I was finishing my doctoral degree that academia wasn't for me. I wanted something more applied, more action oriented. So again, rather than feeling like, oh, I've spent all these years in school. Uh, my mindset, fortunately, was, okay, what opportunities are out there? How can I apply what I've learned? And as it turns out, what my doctor was in, the psychology of human performance, is tremendously applied to any outside organization, whether that's business or teaching or not-for-profits or anything. So I'm fortunate that what I studied was, was very applied. Uh, so I did get into business, worked with FedEx for a number of years, uh, learned a lot again about organizations and I was able to apply my knowledge of human performance in the you know the working world the business world and learned a lot through that and that carried on when I worked with the Atlanta consulting group we moved to Georgia spent five years there and then having my own business for the past roughly uh, 20 years and being able to apply again all these learnings on human performance and organizational performance to help organizations execute what they need to do so you know when you ask about you know, some of the key successes and, and challenges, I think the challenges really are when you're forced to change, you know, something changes, your your dream is broken or you don't, you know, you don't get what you want to get. What do you do? Do you feel bad for yourself or do you keep a positive mindset and look for the opportunities? And I found that's always served me well. Never there have been times of pressure or, you know, business is down or I needed to make a change. Um, just persevering with that mindset, focusing on the opportunities has, um, has played out well. That, uh, that drive you have. I mean, I remember when you were in Edmonton, you had a position in Edmonton, and uh, there was a position in Vancouver, 
and you were looking forward to that that opportunity, and uh, you ruptured your Achilles. You want to uh, right. do you want to tell the listeners about what uh, what ended up occurring as a result of that? I mean, it didn't deter you from carrying on with what uh, what your goals were. Right. So I was in Edmonton at the time, and I had this job opportunity with FedEx in Vancouver, and they said, you know, after a phone interview, we want you to come down for an interview. Well, I just ruptured my Achilles, and you know, had this you know big. Uh, cast on, uh, needed to get to Vancouver, so I said, you know, I got to get there, so I drove drove to Vancouver, one-legged cast, you know, uh, over the course of whatever it is from Edmonton, I think it was like, what, 14 hours to get down for this interview, because I was serious about this, and at one point in the interview, they said, you know, well, how, how important is this job to you? And I said, look, I just had, you know, surgery a week ago, I've just driven 14 hours with one leg in a cast to get here, you know, I'm serious. I want this job. <laughs> Fortunately, they, I got the job. Yeah, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? Your commitment when you've you've made a goal and you're not going to allow anything to deter you to stop you. So that's a that's a it's, huge take. You know, it, it's easy to come up with reasons why not to do things, and I talk to this with my clients, and even when I'm mentoring young people all the time, there's always a lot of excuses. There's tons of ready-made excuses out there. I can't because it's, you know, it's cold out. I don't feel good today or this or that. I mean, no, there's a hundred reasons, right? If you're committed, truly committed, you find a way to make it work. Just find a way to do it. You know, and you find a way and say, you know what? I'm going to deal with the discomfort. I'm going to deal with the uncertainty. I'm going to deal with the fact that it's not ideal, all these conditions. I'm going to deal with it and still make it happen. So it's that, you know, that, that resolve, that commitment that I think can see any of us through hard times, challenges, obstacles that we face. Yeah, that's uh, that's great advice. Now, in your life, because I've known you since uh, we were eight, we were eighteen, I, I think we had just turned nineteen when we met. Yeah. I, holy smokes, right. we're going back a lot of years, my friend. A lot of years. You've <laughs> always you've always had that drive. You've always had that commitment. So, in your life. Obviously, there's there has to be some inspiration. Who uh, who inspired you? Did you have mentors along the way? What were the people that influenced you? Absolutely, and I'm very fortunate. I've had some tremendous influences in my life. The ones I refer to most often, uh, actually, call them my guiding spirits. My my grandfather, my father, my mother, and my uncle Tony. And each of them stood for a trait which I reflect on, I meditate on, and I try and cultivate. You know, my grandfather. Canic, uh, who you know came over from you know present-day Croatia to forge a new life for the family here in the New World in Canada, he didn't have the money to bring his family over, so he just knew that there's more opportunity in Canada. So he came over to Canada and worked for seven years to save up enough money for my grandfather, grandmother, and my dad and uh, his brother Michael Tony to come over. So he was, he kept this focus. He was very, very focused on the one thing he needed to do to get his family, you know, over to the new world. From my dad, what I've ever been inspired with is motivation. You know, he was a guy who didn't graduate from high school, but because of a very strong work ethic and because he was very good with people, uh, he, you know, was very successful in the business world and became a, uh, a vice president in uh, Jimmy Patterson's organization. So, you know, he did a lot because of his motivation. From my mother, it's her organization. And she was always very detailed in keeping track of, you know, what needs to be done, when do I need to follow up, where, what goes where, and just that sense of organization. Because 
you can have a lot of motivation, but if you're not organized, you know, things can spiral out of control. And then finally, Michael Tony, the discipline part of it, he served a number of years in the, uh, the military day with the uh, Canadian Armed Forces and many UN peacekeeping missions. And uh, then he became a university professor. And he was this, you know, just iron-willed individual. I remember at his, uh, his funeral, his best friend coming up to me and saying, you know, Michael, he goes, what I always remember about your uncle is that he, he would always say, if you have discipline, you can do anything. So he's been an inspiration too. So, you know, you ask about mentors and inspiration. I think of those traits, you know, focus, motivation, organization, discipline. Uh, that's why I actually look at those traits every day. Uh, I meditate on those things. I review them and I try to cultivate them within myself. So would you say those are, uh, I mean, is that your philosophy, do you think? Or do you have one specific mantra that you, you kind of reflect on? Or is it a group of the things that we just discussed? Well, that's, that's my philosophy, certainly for cultivating, you know, uh, uh, what I call pure will, but my overall philosophy for living is pure heart, pure mind, pure body, pure will. So I want to cultivate a pure heart and be a, you know, and be a good person and, you know, be mindful of other people and, you know, be selfless in many ways. Pure mind is just making sure I'm, you know, seeing things clearly and always striving to learn. You know, pure body, I want to, you know, mean physically healthy so I can, you know, endure for a long time and be functional and healthy. And, and then the pure will part really comes with those four traits, that focus, motivation, organization, discipline, you know, to really allow me to, you know, accomplish what, I, what I'd like to accomplish. Those are all, uh, yeah, commendable traits. That's uh, obviously all of those things have allowed you to, to be successful. Um, we talk about leadership. And uh, you're in the business world, obviously. I'm uh, in the teaching profession and coaching. And you've coached and I've coached. What's your, um, what's your kind of outlook in allowing people to be successful when it comes to leadership? Whether you're on a football field, whether you're in a classroom, or whether you're, uh, you're trying to maintain a, uh, a business. I mean, there's a lot of common things, threads there. What do you, uh, what do you define as uh, great leadership skills? Well, you know, when I'm asked questions like that, Dave, I always come back to a quote by a well-known author, John Maxwell, who's written prolifically on leadership. And he said, you know, if you're leading, but no one's following, then you're really just taking a walk. So, you know, it's not about the leading, it's about making sure you have followers. It's not about you, it's about them. And one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, what you do is not as important as what your people experience. And sometimes as leaders, we get caught up in all the things. Well, I did this, and, you know, I followed these leadership things that I've read about. And, you know, it, but it's not about you. The ultimate validation is, are your people engaged and performing? And at the end of the day, I look at leadership, you know, you're, you're wanting in your organization, you know, you want engagement and performance. You want a culture of engagement and performance. I, and I would guess that's as true in education, in not-for-profits, in business, in any organization, you know, if you've got a group of people who are looking to you for a leader, you want to create a culture of both engagement and performance. You want people engaged and then achieving, you know, whatever needs to be achieved in that context, whether that's learning and education or whether that's, you know, uh, business results in business. You've uh, you've got a lot of quotes because I've read your book. It's an outstanding read. And uh, what what's interesting is, obviously, as a teacher, once again, I pick up the book and you're you're my best friend, so I'm going to read the book. But the takeaways for me as a teacher and as a coach 
were, were memorable because I wasn't expecting to get that many takeaways. So I've got a bunch of quotes and I thought, wow, is this ever applicable? And uh, one of them, I want you to just explain a little bit for me. Um, it's an awesome quote. It says empathy. And empathy is seeing through the eyes, thinking in their minds and feelings with their heart. So it's seeing through their eyes, thinking in their minds and feeling with their hearts. How does that apply to your profession or our profession? Right. Well, anything that gets accomplished in any organization, it's not because the leaders, it's because the people. So they're the ones, you know, it's not the CEO and the top team who are providing the service or building the product, right? It's often the people at the front lines, right? Um, and just like, I've been, you know, in, in teaching as well, right? The, the key thing isn't that you're teaching, it's that they're learning. It's what they experience. So we have to try and, you know, as much as we can, understand their experience. So we talk about empathy, and that word is, you know, referred to a lot today, and that's great. But what does that really mean? And I think it's important not just to see what they see, but, you know, how do they think and what do they feel? And I think thinking and feeling are both important. There's an emotional side and a rational side. And, I mean, especially today during COVID times, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's some anxiety. There's stress. Um, you know, home lives maybe have been turned upside down. So I think in any leadership role, you know, we have to try to see through their eyes, think in their minds, feel with their hearts. And, you know, don't just imagine that, but we need to connect with people as well. And, you know, and invite them and make it safe for them to communicate whatever they want to about what they're thinking, how they're feeling, what they're dealing with. And then we might be able to be more effective leaders in, in responding to that. So empathy is very important because, again, if you want this culture of engagement and performance, um, you have to understand your people. It's about them. It's not about you. You've also said what matters more than anything you do is everything you do. So what matters more than anything you do is everything you do. You want to explain that? Sure. And, you know, in business, you know, sometimes there's a big change that needs to happen. And so business will put people through training. But then people don't execute the change. Why? And they just say, well, we put them through training. Well, but did you communicate the importance of the change? Did you give people sufficient resources? Were there incentives? Everything has to be aligned with the change you want. And doing, you know, piecemealing stuff doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, you know, just to send people through training or just to tell people do this isn't enough. And I think what leaders need to realize is that they want people to, to excel, organizations to excel. They need to get all the arrows pointed in the right direction. Everything that touches people, everything that impacts them, the coaching you provide them, the feedback, the communications, the, you know, the resources you provide, the authority, the, the training, the education, all of this, everything has to continually point people in the right direction because any misalignment sends a mixed message. You know, if I say, well, you know, we want you to, you know, do this and we give you the skills, but we don't give you the authority, well, that's a mixed message. Or we give you clear direction without the resources. That's a mixed message. So that's what I mean by what's more important than anything you do is everything you do. You've, um, when you explain leadership, you've got five, five principles. You talk about align, you talk about equip, you talk about coach, support, and value. What do you mean by align? When, right. Is it just the, the same align. values? It's, it's really aligning hearts and heads with the change you want. So anytime you want to you have goals to achieve or changes you want to, you know, uh, implement, 
you know, if you, you're clear on that goal, how do we get their hearts and heads aligned with that goal? So we need to communicate with to people what the goal is. You know, how does that fit into the big picture? And more importantly, how does it connect to what's expected of them? Let me give you an example. So many years ago, I was uh, working with the Atlantic Consulting Group. One evening, walked out of our building, late in the evening with our, our CEO, and a guy is mopping the floor in the lobby. So our CEO goes up to him and says, hey, I want you to know that what you do makes a difference. Every day we have dozens of clients coming in and out of our office. The first thing they experience is this lobby. We want a place, an environment where they feel comfortable, they feel things are in order, a professional environment. What you do creates that first impression. Thank you. Wow. So the point is, you know, you know, do your people understand how what's expected of them contributes to that big picture? And how does that fill the, fill the bigger purpose of the organization? We have to be able to connect the dots between purpose, goals, and expectations. So that's what I mean by aligned. Can we get their hearts and heads aligned with what we need to achieve? And then you've got, uh, the second one is equip. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, we've got to make sure people have the tools to do the job. We're setting them up to succeed, not setting them up to fail. So, you know, again, in, in business, you know, do people have the resources? Do they have the skills? Do they have the authority? Do they have the knowledge? Have we provided them with that? Similarly in education, you know, we want students to learn. Well, have we provided them with the knowledge? Have we created an environment that enables them to, to, to learn, you know, to want to learn? Do they have the resources to do that? So it's making sure people are equipped to be successful, you know, not, you know, pointing to the moon, but not giving them the rocket to fly there. And uh, the third one was coaching. Well, and this is one that I'm, you know, especially close to and, and is very important because too often managers, you know, tell people, go do this and then leave them to their own devices. And frankly, I, you know, you know, I'm sure we all in education as well, though maybe teachers who take that approach, right? You know, go do this, right? Or I'm giving you something to do. Well, coaches take responsibility for the performance of their people. And that's really the key here. When you're thinking like a coach, you take responsibility for the performance of people. You ask him, what do I need to do to help each person perform at their best? How do I approach it so each person can excel? Coaches know the individual traits of their, their of different people and adapt to those traits. So some people just need to be pointed in the right direction and then get out of the way, let them do it. Others need to be reinforced after every step. Am I going in the right direction, right? Others need lots of praise. Others sometimes need a big, to be directly challenged. You know, you need to be able to say, Sarah, you're better than this. You know that, I know this, you're better than this. So I think what's important about being a coach is that then you take responsibility. And I think this is true, you know, this is true for teachers, this is true for leaders in business or in any field. Take responsibility. Continually challenge yourself. How do I push the right buttons? How do I create the right environment so each person can perform at their best? And I've got to know enough about each person that I can adapt. You know, the last thing I'd say on coaching, Dave, and I'll tell you this, I'll admit this took me a while to learn, is that if you connect with the heart, the head will follow. If you connect with the heart, then the head will follow. You yeah. know? And if they know that you care, you know, that you genuinely care about them, then they're going to be much more receptive to whatever you're trying to impart. That sort of ties into the fourth concept when you talk about support, I would assume. So maybe you can maybe extend upon that uh, that idea about support, what your uh, understanding is. Sure. Well, when I'm talking about support, what I'm really talking about is are we designing 
the organization to support people. So have we put in place the right processes, policies? Uh, do we have the right technology or systems or facilities? All of those things, you know, the, the infrastructure of the organization, is that all going to support people? You know, are they in a classroom, right, where there's comfortable and it's conducive to learning? Just like in business, are they in facilities that enable them to do what they what we need to get done? So I'm talking about support. I'm saying, are we designing the organization to support them, processes, policies, structure, and infrastructure? Those are great concepts. Now, you put um, you and I have talked oh numerous times about value and uh, how important it is that you value your employees. And can you talk about that at all, please? Sure. Yes. The um, you know I know label the chapter the value of, of feeling valued the reality is you know you you hire employees but human beings show up to work and you know as a leader if you're not attuned you know whether it's your employees or your students or you know whoever whatever your organization is if you're not attuned to their their hopes their fears their anxieties their ambitions their securities their insecurities then you're really missing out on the opportunity to engage them and to have them perform well so what I found, and, you know, I've been fortunate, this is a, you know, I've, I've been fortunate, Dave, to travel a lot, as you know, I've probably been to well, roughly 50 countries. And what I found is that regardless of culture or country or ethnicity or anything else, everyone wants to feel respected. Everyone wants to feel trusted. And everyone wants to feel cared about as an individual. And as a leader, when you constantly embody and reflect that and, and show that respect, that trust, that caring, people will feel valued. And the value of people feeling valued is then you're engaging them and they're likely to perform and to uh, achieve what they need to achieve. Uh, and that's what's very gratifying. Yeah, that's that's so important. That's so important when you're dealing with, with people. Now. What I found interesting in the book as well is, and I have always thought of you as a more of a motivational speaker, but you actually go out of the way and saying you're not a motivational speaker. Your intent is uh, rather to provoke, inspire, and equip. Can you can you talk about that? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, we're, we're all familiar with motivational speakers who do a great job of getting people amped up and tell very, you know, inspiring stories and and, and all that's great and certainly a, a major role for that. Often, however, people will come away from those talks and nothing will change. Nothing will change. And, you know, we've all been through that. And boy, it felt good and I had good intentions, but nothing changed. Here's the psychology of it, Dave. And this is, you know, a lot of what I studied in my, uh, you know, my doctoral work. But the reality is pain is a more reliable predictor of change than gain. Let me say that again. Pain is a more reliable predictor of change than gain. So that means that when there's something that's really compelling us to change, we're more likely to change when it's negative. And here's a quick example. You know, everybody knows, well, geez, I need to, I should exercise, I should eat better, I should lose weight, all of that, right? But a lot of people have a hard time with that. However, when many people wake up in that hospital room and the doctor's looking down on them and saying, you know, you almost didn't pull through. And if you don't change your lifestyle habits, you're not going to make it next time. Well, that causes people to change. So here's what I found. Not only is pain more reliable, uh, a more reliable predictor of change than gain, but when you, put, when you position both of them so people can see both the downside and the upside, they're more likely to change. At the end of the day, I don't want to just give a speech that 
feel good about. I want to provide, I want to deliver a presentation that helps people change. So, yes, I want them inspired, but I also want them provoked. I want them to feel dis- uncomfortable. You know, I want them to have that smoldering discontent for how things are and a fierce resolve to change them. So I want to be provocative. I want them feeling uncomfortable, not just, you know, motivated and amped up. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, that's motivational even though the, you may not think it is, but it's, it'll motivate people to possibly step forward and, and uh, you know, start uh, using those concepts to allow them to be successful. There was, a, there was a, uh, a story in the book, I thought it was pretty good, because I know you're an avid mountain climber, and um, it, was about, um, it was about, I suppose, I'm trying to think of the context, it was about people putting things in place and then not thinking them through properly. And you related it to your experience when you were uh, mountain climbing. So right. you were with uh, right. you were with your friend. I wonder if you can relate that uh, that story. I thought it was quite good. Sure. We, this is when I was living in, in, in Calgary, and my friend and I, my buddy and I, who had done a lot of hiking, we decided we were going to do some rock climbing. So, you know, we saw the north face of uh, Mount Cascade, which is, you know, close to Banff, and we thought, boy, that's a great looking rock face. So we had this goal, right? Have a goal, think big. So we went on this climb, and uh, we started rock climbing. It looked pretty reasonable, and we got higher and higher up, and everything was going smoothly until it wasn't. <laughs> and then it started getting steeper, uh-huh. and we're higher. And of uh-huh. course, we're climbing without ropes, being the morons we are. We're not climbing with ropes. <laughs> and it starts getting more difficult. Well, and then at one point, you know, I hear Ken say, you know, and he's a little ahead of me. He goes, Mike, I don't think I can hang on. And at that point, Dave, he's directly above me, which is like a cardinal sin of when you're climbing the other ropes. He's directly above me, which means if he falls, he's going to crash into me, and we're going to, you know, spiral off into the obituary section of the annual Alpine Journal. You know, so, you know, so, you know, so, but, and I'm so I jam my arm into this crack in the rock, thinking if he falls, maybe I can help this slow him down by sticking my arm out or something. Well, anyways, fortunately, you know, Ken was able to get himself under control, and we decided, you know, enough is enough. But then, we've got to climb down. Well, as any, you know, rock climber knows, climbing down is a lot harder than climbing up. So we have to climb down, not being able to see our foot placements. And I'll tell you, it was really, there was a lot of anxiety. We get to the bottom. And happened to notice on the rock, you know, just next to where we come down, the memorial plaques bolted into the rock of all those who had died on this rock climb. Oh. It was like, you know, oh my a couple of morons we were. So here's here's the message, and I apply this in business. Everybody talks about setting big goals, big, hairy, audacious goals. And my, my comment is, it's easy to set big, hairy, audacious goals. However, make sure you're very clear. What are the risks? What are the rewards and what are the requirements? So the three R's, what are the risks? What are the rewards? What are the requirements? Check in on those three before you commit to any big goal. Because if you're not aware of the risks as we weren't, right? It could have killed us. Be clear on the rewards. Are they compelling enough to, you know, to make you want to do it and do what it takes to prepare to do it? Finally, what are the requirements? What is it we need to make sure we're successful at this, whether that's training, whether that's equipment, what are the requirements? So it's really a statement about not just picking arbitrary big goals and saying, let's go do this. Pick your goals wisely, because if you don't, they could kill you. 
you know what that's uh that's great information i mean i i'm thinking about you on on that uh on that mountain and how you've uh you know you've talked about business and all of those things but boy talk about making it uh applicable and putting it in context i remember reading that i've got to talk about the book because i've i've uh, quoted several things in that what was the uh the motivation behind the book. I know we had talked years back, but what finally got you going about it? And and why a book? What was the thing? Right. Yeah, good questions. And, you know, I've, as you know, Dave, I've spoken for many years. I've, I've known for over 25 years that I would, you know, I needed to write a book. I've known that. So this is really at the level of my, you know, a, a life purpose thing. I knew I had to get this done. This is something I absolutely had to do. Why, you know, my, my purpose life really is to, you know, have positive and significant impact on many people, you know, directly or indirectly. And I saw the book as one way to do that. This topic is something I've been so close to over, you know, for the last, what, 25 years of my career about how do we execute? How do we implement? How do we get things done? You know, we have good plans, good ideas, good strategies, but everybody struggles with the execution. Well, I wanted to take all these things I've learned from practical application with my clients and capture them in this book. So it was really at the level of, you know, this was a purpose, this was something I had to do. Um, and, you know, when the time was right, when my mindset was right, uh, I wrote it. And uh, it's been very gratifying. Now, the title, Ruthless Consistency. How did you come up with that title? Well, I knew, first of all, title has to be something. It can't be bland or boring. But I also wanted something, of course, that really captured the essence of my whole philosophy. And the essence of my, the philosophy is leaders have to be absolutely consistent. And that doesn't mean everything you do, it doesn't mean you're doing the exact same thing the same way all the time, but it's a consistency of purpose so that whatever you do is absolutely aligned with your goals, with your values, everything has to count. Everything has to be aligned, everything consistent. So I use the term ruthless consistency really to mean uncompromising, unrelenting, that you're so committed to this consistency of purpose, nothing gets in the way. So it's really a ruthless consistency of purpose that I talk about. And I can tell you, I've used this as the title for my talks for many years. Uh, it resonates always very well with organizational leaders. So I thought this would be a natural title for the book, Ruthless Consistency. Yeah, it is. It's an awesome title. I mean, it stands out there. It's uh, when you when you hear that title, it sort of catches your uh, catches your uh, ears and and your eyes. Well, the right. uh, the book is is absolutely outstanding. If somebody wants to purchase the book, where where would they uh, find it? Sure, probably the easiest is just go to your favorite online retailer, you know, like a Amazon. Uh, enter under books ruthless consistency, and uh, this will come up. Michael Canick, C A N I C, and you'll be able to get it there. That's awesome. Mike, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I, uh, I appreciate it. And again, the takeaways, um, it, and I said in the monologue when I was uh, introducing you, it really doesn't matter if you're a business person, if you're a school teacher, if you're a, a coach. All of the uh, takeaways that uh, you've just talked about can be applied to, to any profession at all. So, you know what? Once again, thank you very much. Hey, have a great day. I look forward to the time when uh, we can actually get together. You can come over. We don't have to uh, necessarily stay in our bubble. And uh, it'd be nice to see what you look like as opposed to, I think we went out just uh, just before Christmas and we're all masked up. And I'm like, I'm just, just looking forward to it. But it's going to be there. It's going to be there. So anyways, thank yeah, you very yeah. much again. You take care, Michael. Yes. Yeah, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Dave.
Well, that'll be it for today's episode. I'd like to thank Dr. Michael Cannett for his great words and his valuable lessons. And once again, you know, the information he's provided us with, it's really not just about how to achieve success in the workplace, but more importantly, how to achieve success in life. I'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in and being with us today. And Michael, I'm going to uh, take you for a trip down memory lane. I'm going to play us out with a little BTO, Bachman Turner Overdrive. This is Dave Rizicki with Nathan Rivers. Please take care, be well, and as always, peace.